Thank you for joining us on Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of AYCCE Apologetics Ministries. AYCCE is an acronym for Answering Your Christian Concerns Effectively. And it's our prayer that this program educates, trains, and empowers you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. Enjoy this equipping time so that you may answer questions effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Be always ready to give each man or woman an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within you. And we are to do it with gentleness and respect. We're living in a society where the teachings of Christianity is being attacked on every front. Uh, God is being attacked. Jesus is being attacked. Teachings dealing with the Bible, internal and external evidence is under attack. And one of the things that skeptics use um, often in terms of attacking our Christian faith deals with the synoptic gospels. And so today I wanted to um, talk about the differences, the obvious differences that we see in the synoptics. And uh, we want to unpackage and give us all some ammunition so we can respond to those that ask us questions about the Bible, especially the synoptic gospels. And so I'm so thrilled that uh, we have a guest with us today. Uh, His name is Mike Licona. And Brother Licona is associate professor of theology at Houston Baptist University. And he's also um, the president of Risen Jesus Incorporated with his uh, background, a Ph.D. in New Testament studies. And you also find him in uh, numerous other publications, The Case for the Real Jesus, for an example, The Resurrection of Jesus, and uh, a, a book that uh, I read, which is The uh, Resurrection of Jesus, A New hist- uh, Histographical Approach, Paul Meese Muhammad. Well, without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Mike Licona. Brother Mike, how are you? Good, Perseus. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Now, my first question uh, deals with uh, the presentation that I witnessed, uh, which you talked about the gospel differences. And you state that the style of writing found in uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke was not unique uh, to that uh, uh, to themselves, but was in accordance to uh, similar writings found during the Greco-Roman period. Can you please uh Explain that to us and, and, and how that relates to uh, the Synoptic Gospels in terms of the writing from the Greek or Roma, uh, Roman period. Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, all of the biblical literature uh, is written in a genre or literary type that was contemporary with the authors of that day. So, for example, Psalms, songs, um, is poetry. Uh, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs is what was um, <clears throat> called wisdom literature. Uh, so there was other wisdom literature in, from the Jews, from the Egyptians, from, from other cultures. That is not at all to, to suggest that uh, the literature we have in the Bible is not divinely inspired. Uh, it doesn't say anything one way or another to identify the genre of, of the particular biblical literature. I'm just saying that they were writing according to a literature that was contemporary with the authors. 
Um, you come, of course, you've got the, the prophetic literature um, of the Jewish prophets. You come to the New Testament, you have the Book of Acts, which um, virtually all scholars would say that that is historiography, or right. it's written as a history of the Church. That is not to say the historians, um, all of them would say that it's accurate history, but it is written in the genre of history. Um, you have the letters of Paul, the letters of Peter, and, and, and the letter of James, etc. These are, are letters, they're epistles. You have uh, the book of Hebrews, which most now agree is a homily, it's a sermon. Uh, you come to the book of Revelation, that is what is called apocalyptic literature. There was other apocalyptic literature of that day um, that talk about the end times, things such as the book of First Enoch, which is, interestingly, quoted by Jude in his letter, which is the next-to-last piece of literature in the New Testament. Um, there is also Fourth Ezra, that was also considered apocalyptic literature. These read a whole lot like Revelation. So these... Um, that all the, the books of the Bible were written according to a genre that was contemporary with them. When we come to the Gospels, therefore, we would expect that they're not going to be uh, unique in that God wrote all the literature, or had all the literature in the New Testament penned according to uh, a genre contemporary with the authors, until you come to the Gospels, and that they stand unique. There's no reason to think that. So then we'd say, well, what are they written? Well, <clears throat> most scholars believe that the Gospels in the New Testament are Greco-Roman biographies. Um, uh, there's some question over Luke. Some would say that Luke is historiography, just like it's a history, just like Acts is. It was written in the same genre, So, and that, that's possible. Um, but most scholars do believe that the Gospels are biographies, and... For some reason that is unknown to us today, the uh, Jews of that period did not write biographies of their sages, of their teachers. Hmm. So if the Gospel authors were going to write a biography of Jesus, then Greco-Roman biography was the only game in town. Um, and when we look <clears throat> at the characteristics of Greco-Roman biography, we find those also in the Gospels. Uh, things such as they're written in continuous prose narrative, they contain stories, teachings, anecdotes, and speeches that are combined to form a narrative. Uh, it, you have the life of the main character is uh, not always covered in a chronological sense when we're talking about ancient biographies. You have a, a, a attention that is focused on the main character uh, rather than on an event or an era, or a government, as we would find in history. Mm -hmm. um, in ancient biographies, we find little to no attention uh, given to the psychological analysis of the main character. Uh, you learn something about the main character's ancestry, and then you move rapidly along to the inauguration of their public life. And that's why, you know, a lot of people say, well, why don't we find anything about Jesus childhood mm -hmm. in the Gospels. And the reason being is because they are Greco-Roman biographies, um, They, which talked about the ancestry. You've got the genealogies, of course, in Matthew and Luke. In Mark, it talks about Jesus being, it starts by saying Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, in John, um, 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. So um, you've got how they're introduced um, and their ancestry. He's the Son of God. Um, and then it moves rapidly to go, boom, right into <laughs> their public life. So right. That's exactly what we have with the Gospels. Right. Um, there are the right lengths uh, of Greco-Roman biography, something that would typically be read in one sitting. Um, so, I mean, I could go on and on with, with these things. There are many different qualities <laughs> of Greco-Roman biography, and we find them all in the Gospels. So that um, uh, that leads me to my next question then. If they fit the genre of uh, 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 Greco-Roman writings, then who who was, were the disciples, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, influenced by that period in terms of uh, trying to reconcile the fact that the Bible says that these were unlearned men. So, so please connect that the, uh, the dots for us. Oh yeah, they could have easily used a scribe, um, or they're called secretaries, or the academic term is amanuensis, mm-hmm. uh, someone who, on their behalf, would have written down these things at their direction, um, and. This would have been commonplace even if a person was lettered, even if they were literate, could read and write, and were highly educated. Cicero, very highly educated, mm-hmm. um, and yet he had Tiro, his secretary, his scribe, uh, would write most of his letters for him. Now, um, in some cases, Tiro might have just taken, taken dictation from Cicero, or Cicero might have given him certain ideas, and Tiro would have edited it and put it in a nice order. Uh, we find Paul doing this mm-hmm. in, in his uh, greatest theological uh, work, uh, his letter to the Church at Rome. Right. Um, when you come to chapter 16, verse 22, uh, it says, I, Tertius, who write this letter, send you my greetings. So um, it would be... And, and Paul was a very educated person, highly educated. Right. So it could be typical even of an educated person to have a scribe to write things down, much more an uneducated person like probably most of the disciples were. Thank you for that explanation. So my next question deals with, um, uh, and I was exposed to this uh, through you, so thank you for the illumination in terms of the uh, historicity of this question. You talked about the composition books during that era uh, used by students of literature as well as uh, students of rhetoric uh, in the first century. And uh, how, how are those books um, connected to the discussion that we're having now about the genre of the gospel writers? Uh, please, please connect those dots for us. Well, um, these compositional textbooks, what they were, um, and we have a few of them from around the first century, one a Greek writer named uh, Theon, and a um, a Latin writer, a Roman named Quintilian, who wrote at the end, toward the end of the first century, and they would talk about various techniques that exercises called progymnosmata, which should be uh, taught to that usually young males in their mid-teens during a secondary or tertiary part of their education process 
um, when they're learning rhetoric. So they're learning how to speak, to give speeches, to put together arguments, to write and compose letters and various things. Um, they have these exercises uh, in order to teach them how to write and how to give speeches. And these exercises, pro gymnasmata, uh, taught them, uh, one of the things they did was taught them how to paraphrase. So uh, they would teach them, okay, one way of paraphrasing is to change the syntax or the grammatical structure. Um, Theon gives a lot of these, so what he would do is he would, um, in one case, he took a paragraph from the Greek historian of the 4th century B.C. named Thucydides, uh, who is writing on the uh, Peloponnesian War, and he'd take a paragraph and he said, all right, let's go ahead and paraphrase this. So he would change the syntax or the grammatical structure of it. So uh, just for example, uh, let's say uh, one of your listeners, or let's say you, Perseus, you say, today I interviewed Mike Lacona on my show. If you wanted to paraphrase by changing the syntax, you might say, I interviewed today Mike Lacona on my show, Mm -hmm. or uh, on my show today, Mike Lacona, I interviewed. Now, that sounds a little bit awkward in English, mm-hmm. but in, in Greek, uh, there were so many different ways that you could say something. So they would paraphrase by just altering the grammar. Another thing they could do is by adding uh, to the thoughts. Uh, and that would be for purposes of, like, clarification or expounding in order to get the point across. Uh, we find Matthew doing this on occasion. Or you could do for uh, subtraction. Uh, you abbreviate it for, um, you know, just for uh, purposes of economy uh, in your writing. You could substitute by putting in a synonym. Um, so instead of saying, uh, today I interviewed Mike Lacona on my show, you could say, today I interviewed a professor from Houston Baptist University on my show. Okay, so you just substitute in there. That'd be a way to paraphrase. Right. Um so there are different things. You could do another thing. It gets kind of interesting, Perseus, at times. Like, for example, Theon says, hey, you can change a statement to a question. <laughs> or you can change a statement or a question to an exclamation or a command. Or you could create a dialogue. We find the Gospel authors doing this, especially Matthew. We find him doing it at times, where he just takes a teaching of Jesus and to... Uh, make the narrative perhaps uh, more entertaining, or to get the po- uh, increased drama, get the point across more clearly, he changes the teaching and creates a dialogue out of it with his opponents. So that's kind of interesting to see. These are all the kinds of things, uh, plus more, that are taught in these compositional textbooks in order to uh, promote paraphrasing uh, a narrative and you were taught you were supposed to do this. This was the proper way of writing. And we find the gospel authors doing this. It, it gets really real. Once you understand how they were taught to write, and you understand what this involved, um, then when you notice it in the gospels, it's like, wow, this is pretty neat. They right. were doing proper history and biographical writing um, as they would have been taught to do. Thank you. If you're just joining us, uh, we're on air with uh, Brother Mike Licona, um, and he's sharing with us 
information about the differences in the Gospels and why there are differences. And I find this subject and information just so enlightening. And um, I'm a history buff, so I, I really appreciate him sharing with us the background of first century uh, Greco-Roman period writings. And so, Brother Licona, would you say this is the main uh, reasons for the uh, differences um, in terms of the way the uh, the narrative is written? And uh, let's say it's the same narrative in all two or three synoptics. Uh, is that the main reason why they're written differently or laid out differently? Well, Perseus, I would say it's certainly one of the main reasons for it. Um, there would be some others, uh, compositional devices that uh, aren't necessarily mentioned in the compositional textbooks, but nevertheless, ancient historians use them frequently. Um, they That would also account for many of the differences. In fact, those compositional devices would account for the larger differences that we find in the Gospels. Excellent. So now let's... Um attempt to dive into ex- uh, a few examples of what you're talking about uh, in terms of differences of the same narrative in the, in the different Gospels, and synoptic Gospels. So, for example, you talked about the differences um, in the recording of Jesus on the topic of divorce, uh, Mark 10, 1 through 12, and Matthew 19, 1 through 12. Please walk us through uh, those apparent differences. Sure. Well, the main difference, you have it uh, in, uh, let's say, when Jesus is talking about divorce in Mark, um, the Jewish leaders come up and they say, hey, is it okay, Moses said it's okay to divorce, is, what, what do you think about that? Um, and so Jesus responds to them, and I mean, there's a lot of differences in here. A lot of them have to do with the compositional textbooks, where um, you know, who asks the question or who brings up Moses and things like that, or changing a statement to a question, that's going on here. Um, one of the main differences, however, would be in Mark, Jesus basically says that if a man divorces his wife and marries another, he commits adultery. Mm-hmm. So if most scholars believe that Mark was the first gospel, the first of the four gospels to be written, so if you are one of the readers or hearers of Mark's Gospel in the first century, um, what, on what basis can a person get a divorce? Well, there are none. There are no bases. So but you say, well, wait a minute. Isn't there something that Jesus taught about divorce, you know, if marital infidelity is involved? Yes, that's in Matthew. Matthew takes the same teaching and he says, if a man divorces his wife except for the cause of immorality, he commits adultery, uh, uh, and marries another, he commits adultery. Um, so what Matthew does is he adds in the account, um, and he does so uh, to clarify what Jesus meant. You say, but wait a minute, in Mark, Jesus doesn't give the rider there, the caveat, to say, well, wait a minute, you're allowed with sexual immorality if your spouse is sexually unfaithful to you. Right. Um, but Matthew has this. Jesus is speaking in hyperbolic language, as many 
ancient teachers did to make a point. And he did this on, on multiple occasions. So, like, on one occasion he says, unless you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, <laughs> you can't and wife me. and children, you can't be my disciple. Well, what, what does he mean that? Why do I have to hate right. you? Right. Know? <laughs> um, well, he's using hyperbolic language there. And what Matthew does is he recasts that. He paraphrases it, but recasts it, getting rid of the hyperbolic language, and says, unless you love me more than father, mother, brother, sister, wife, and children, you can't be my disciple. Um, on another occasion, Jesus says, hey, if your right eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. Right. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it. Well, does, did he really mean for us to do that? Or is he using an idiom of that day, talking in hyperbolic language? Right. Well, we certainly hope he's using that, right? Right. And it just so happens he does, because later on Seneca says, hey, if your heart's evil, rip it out. So, right. I mean, this is an idiom of the day, but it was this kind of hyperbolic language that was used to get a person's attention. So, so Brother Lacona, yeah. let's pause right there, and then we'll continue on the next segment uh, in, in terms of this information that you're sharing with us. Uh, I'm truly being edified, and I know our listeners are. So we'll pause right here, and then we'll continue on the other side for the next segment. And if you're just joining us, uh, we are basically getting information on the background on the first century writings and how that influenced the disciples and the scribes that they may have used in writing the uh, synoptic gospels. And the synoptic, by the way, refers to Matthew, Mark and Luke. And so if you are a Bible reader and a student, we ask that you uh, pay closely at, uh, close attention to this episode and again, thank you for joining us on Sound Reasoning. Uh, we are praying that you continue to be edified by this program. And we also encourage you to become a sponsor and a partner as we endeavor to train Christians in sound doctrine and also to um, help propagate the gospel as God has given us. So continue to pray for us. And we pray that you are willing to uh, stand for the truth, what others uh, also do for a lie. And thank you for listening to Sound Reasoning. And uh, we pray that you are able to be blessed in your home and in your community and in those people whose lives that you come in contact with. Don't forget to share the gospel. But by sharing the gospel, please be ready to answer each man and woman the questions they may have about our faith. May God bless you, and please uh, contact us if you have questions, AYCCE.org. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from AYCCE Apologetics Ministries. It is our prayer that this lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. AYCCE offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. You can also join us for discussions on Facebook at AYCCE Apologetics. For more information, visit our website at AYCCE.org. You can also send an email there to ask questions or to support our apologetics ministry. That's AYCCE.org. 
Join us next week at this time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says to hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. AYCCE, answering your Christian concerns effectively. AYCCE.org. Scripture and brain science agree. Meditating on God's Word transforms us and reduces stress in our lives. I'm Jody Nisnik, host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week I give you space to hear God's Word, listen to the Spirit, and pray about what's on your heart. And then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.